0: Hi, this is Josh. Just a quick note on this week's podcast. Uh, before we get rolling, I am sick. <laughs> and um, in the, throughout the podcast, you can hear me breathing heavily, which I did not realize was going to be picked up. So um, I just wanted to make sure you all knew that there were some issues with uh, extraneous sounds in the recording. Anyway, um, I will hopefully be well next week. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Uprooted, the podcast from the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. I'm Josh Wise. Uh, This week, we're talking about the local response to trade policy, trade policy, of course, Uh, is often set at the national and international levels, but its effects are felt by state, local, and other uh, sub-federal governments um, around the world, really, but definitely within the United States. Um, Joining me today is Sharon Treat, senior attorney at IATP. Uh, Sharon was also a former state legislator from Maine for many years. Um, So Sharon, uh, um, you know, you have this really great history of working on trade policy at the state level in Maine. Um, But how did you realize that international trade policy was having such a serious effect on your state?
1: Well, thanks, Josh. Um, Maine has been a leader on these issues in terms of uh, having the public and members of the legislature get involved in a policy area that is often left to the federal government or to governors who are occasionally consulted in it. Uh, In Maine, what happened is back in 2003. There was a major effort called the Clean Clothes Initiative, which was intended to uh, focus on sweatshops and preventing the purchase of uh, materials and uh, government procurement uh, of goods that were manufactured in sweatshop settings. Now, of course, there was very much a link to uh, Maine's economic policy there. We had gone through at least a decade or more of uh, many of the manufacturing facilities in the state Uh, closing down, first uh, moving to places in the south of this country that had right-to-work laws and uh, low minimum wages, and then ultimately to other countries, including Mexico, but but many other countries as well. And so there was a link there as well, and that legislation included in it the setting up of a state advisory uh, commission. That would include uh, citizens representing labor, representing um, different um, business entities, small and large, representing health interests, uh, as well as members of the executive branch and the legislative branch to both learn about trade policy, to um, do studies about what the impacts might be on the state, and also to communicate uh, policy um, proposals and, um, and points of view to our members of of Congress and to our governor and to the U.S. Trade Representative's Office, which does the negotiation and policy setting around uh, trade.
0: And part of um, the challenge that states have, states and local governments, is that often, you know, trade policy uh, set at the international level, often by industry representatives uh, talking to each other and the access they have to government officials supersedes uh, the the local regulations, the local policies. Um, talk a little bit about how that works and then what you noticed was happening in Maine.
1: Well, you know, trade policy, we think of it as being related to tariffs and um, sort of subsidies, and that's what a lot of the public discussion is. But modern trade agreements in part started by the the NAFTA agreement, um, you know, over 20 years ago, it started to include in uh, vast provisions that relate to actually domestic policy and not relating to uh, tariffs or or excise uh, fees that are on goods that are, you know, sold back and forth across borders. So this policy relates to things like food standards, it relates to our environmental laws, it relates to you know, a wide range of things that governments uh, like to do, like labeling of food. Uh, and these are policies, of course, that under the American system of federalism, Uh, state and federal governments share in developing policies and enforcing policies around that and much there's a lot of policy that states are allowed to do under our constitution and sometimes takes precedence over the federal government but in these trade agreements because it's a federal provision international provisions that supersedes uh, what happens at the state and local level. And so it, it actually affects those policies. And state and local policies have to be consistent with these uh, what's in these trade agreements. And particularly starting with NAFTA, uh, a very big concern is that these trade agreements have included uh, this investor state dispute settlement system, which allows corporations to challenge uh, both federal, state, and local policies in a very corporate-friendly uh, arbitration system and um, seek money damages. And the result of it is not that it, those policies automatically you know, disappear, but that, in fact, they generally are repealed uh, if uh, a decision is made that those um, policies violate what's in the trade agreement. So, so state policies are very much affected, but states aren't really consulted uh, you know, in any significant way in, in the development of those uh, trade agreements.
0: So can you talk about um, an example where uh, trade agreement policy has had a direct effect on, you know, either a law or an industry within, um, within a state?
1: Well, in terms of the, the um, corporate challenges, there have been corporate challenges to state policies, including a number of states, um, Maine among them, but California was the leading proponent of this, banned a chemical called MTBE that was put into gasoline. And MTBE had this characteristic, which was that it sort of immediately zoomed into the water table when spilled, contaminating vast amounts of water. Uh, the state policy was to ban this and the gasoline, well, the companies that uh, manufactured MTB, which happened to be in Canada, used uh, NAFTA to challenge uh, these state policies. Uh, in that case, uh, under technicality, the states were able to survive um, these policies, but what generally has happened and is a typical situation here is that as soon as these policies are challenged you're not going to find any other state in the country that's going to adopt a similar policy because they're terrified that they're going to be challenged in this corporate court. And the states aren't represented directly there. So they're dependent on the federal government to represent them. And particularly in Canada, there have been a lot of challenges to provincial policy um, around, for example, the siting of um, mining and quarrying facilities in an area, a very sensitive area, uh, where, um, which affect local fishing grounds. And in that case, uh, the, the company was successful just recently in, um, you know, throwing out the denial of a permit to this quarry and is now going forward seeking, you know, millions of dollars in money damages. So those are the kinds of, you know, um, examples of what uh, could be affected and often is affected. Um, it, you know, in our state, and where I, I do live in Maine still, and um, one of the uh, big corporations that has many facilities in the state right now uh, pumping out groundwater into bottles of uh, coal and spring water is now Nestle, which is an international corporation which very much um, comes to the legislature routinely to say, uh, you can't do this policy that might restrict our withdrawal of uh, water, for example, um, from a municipal facility or from a particular spring, because that might violate uh, international trade policies. And legislatures are very poorly equipped to understand whether, in fact, such a policy would violate uh, international trade policy. Uh, And generally, the reaction to that kind of a claim uh, is to withdraw your (laughs) uh, potential policy and say, uh oh, this is an international trade issue. We better not do anything about it. And, you know, it has, as a result, it really has a very significant chilling effect on what uh, legislatures can and should be doing to protect uh, their, you know, environment, protecting that natural resources and to really govern the corporate activities within their states.
0: Um, so obviously states are at very different levels in their um, current engagement on trade policy. But what, what are states doing now? What are, what are, what's being done within the states to actually engage on this? Um, we'll talk about what they could be doing in a minute, but what are they doing right now?
1: Well, I mentioned Maine Citizen Trade Policy Commission, which has held public hearings on the Trans-Pacific Partnership, on our NAFTA, and has communicated via um, letters to members of Congress, has passed resolutions in its in the state legislature, and all of these things actually um, we believe had a significant impact on our uh, congressional delegations. Uh, support of trade agreements which has generally been um, not supportive and and we think that's in large part because of the activities and, and the education um, brought forward by the Commission there are other states that have uh, similar commissions one of the most active is in the state of Vermont which has been extremely um, effective and long uh, long term as well uh, there's commissions in Minnesota I know there's one uh, that's in um, Massachusetts that hasn't been fully funded Uh, There's another one that is uh, run by the legislature in the state of Washington. But even without a commission, uh, there's so much that legislators and members of the public and um, nonprofit uh, civic society groups can do. Uh, Legislators can just hold a public hearing. Uh, And so can the public. You know, there's nothing stopping uh, a group of people from organizing an event and saying we're going to have a public hearing on this negotiation that's going on right now to change what's in NAFTA. And to, you know, and as a result, you get media coverage of that. You get people to testify about whether, what the impacts might be. And quite, you know, possibly you can affect the, the public dialogue as well as the, the dialogue, you know, within um, your congressional delegation. There is a advisory committee that um, is supposed to advise um, the U.S. trade representative that's made up of state and local government. I will say that lately that committee has not been um, very fully consulted. It tends to mostly be composed of uh, members of sort of economic development departments. But certainly that is something that is set up under law and, you know, states should be trying to get people on that body that really represent the full range of interests uh, that states, um, you know, could be affected by. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, there's, there's a lot that can be done and, you know, it's really a question of, um, you know, getting educated about it and figuring out where, you know, at at, at your state level or even the, the local level, I mean, during the debates around the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, there were a number of um, cities and communities that passed resolutions opposing uh, the U.S. Uh, getting involved or, or signing on to the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And of course, all of these things sort of add on, and those are posted on websites nationally, and people all over the country could look to those, you know, and they included uh, places like New York City that have some clout.
0: Yeah, and you know, and I think um, that beyond trade agreements, states are definitely, and and local governments too, are definitely taking steps to kind of counter the effects of uh, global corporate trade policy. You know, you'd mentioned that the main uh, commission was set up under a broader piece of legislation that um, dealt with procurement, among other things. And I think You know, definitely within uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, within the Trans-Atlantic Agreement, um, going after procurement policies, you know, how how governments buy things um, at the state and local level was something the corporations were definitely after. Um, But I know there are all sorts of policies around sweatshop free purchasing, uh, local purchasing. Beyond the agreements themselves, what can state and local governments do to... um, create a, a system of more fair trade and globalization?
1: Well, you know, I I think part of it is to really ask for more transparency and consultation with the federal government. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, under the Constitution, it, it isn't the individual states that are given the authority to, to set trade policy. Uh, it is the federal government. Uh, and that doesn't mean that, you know, whatever the federal government decides in a secret, you know, private process should be acceptable to states. And so states really need to be demanding to be at the table. And I, I think that in general, the kind of consultation has been very limited. It's tended to, to you know, involve governor's offices who frequently have no idea. About the actual breadth of these trade agreements, and are thinking about, you know, well, how do we, you know, sell more peaches, or, you know, or in a main context, more lobster. They're not thinking like, oh, this could just, you know, undermine all of our environmental laws, you know, that we just passed and worked so hard to, to, you know, um, put forward. So I think that's a key thing, and you know, there have been some small steps in some places in, in um, the European Union. Public pressure forced the government there. To post um, negotiating tests online so that people could look at it, analyze it, and really um, prepare, you know, informed comments that they could provide to um, the, the federal government there. And, and in that case, you did have um, different countries and different organizations and uh, even um, municipalities taking that on and, and actually influencing the process. So I think that that level of transparency and more. Uh, Is absolutely needed, um, you know, to move forward on this.
0: Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit more about that. You know, you had you had mentioned Canada and the and the EU a little bit, but how, you know, more broadly, um, are local governments outside of the U.S. engaging on trade policy?
1: Well, in the European Union, there's actually been a very strong effort in particular to involve local, they call it local authorities, which in that (coughs) case is both um, municipal governments as well as the different um, member states of the European Union. In the European Union, each member state does have the um, the authority, legal authority, to say no to an agreement, although it is complicated because uh, they do put these agreements into effect provisionally, uh, and there's a lot of pressure for those states and, and, and countries to, to just accept what's been negotiated. But that said, there has been a lot of organization, particularly there, to get um, different uh, countries to say no to to specific agreements, both with the Europe with between the European Union and the U.S. and also with Canada, uh, and including you know summit meetings uh, in Barcelona that I attended and uh, really you know came forward with resolutions that and tremendously amazing. Uh, public outpouring and in terms of actually people taking to the streets and marching uh, in protest of these agreements and and that kind of public activity actually had um, some effect uh, on negotiators in in the European Union and it really slowed down the negotiation of an agreement that really had you know there were many many concerns about and currently isn't going forward at this time. It, It may well be revived but Uh, that public um, involvement certainly did have an effect so that is something that certainly could happen more in the United States and I think that particularly in this Trump era where things are being negotiated very very quickly there's you know not a lot of public consultation there's very little transparency it's really important for the public to get as informed as possible and to really slow things down so that Uh, decisions um, that may be made are made in the public interest and and not being done um, behind closed doors.
0: Great. Well, Sharon, thanks a lot for joining me on the podcast today.
1: You're welcome. My pleasure.
0: You've been listening to Uprooted, the podcast from the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. I'm Josh Wise. For more information about the things you hear on Uprooted, including local alternatives to corporate globalization and free trade agreements, you can visit our website at www.iatp.org. Thanks for listening.